1: Live from our
2: nation's capital.
1: With divided government, what are the political realities? The president is increasingly frustrated. I want to try to cut through the noise. Politically, this is devastating.
2: Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights.
0: It is no secret that I care a lot about the consumers. There are real questions about big tech. We still have more leverage to use with the tariffs.
2: I think we could do with a little less drama from the White House. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
1: It was a long month this week, but we made it to Friday. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Democrats raising impeaching Trump following Mueller's evidence. All of this just breaking today. Meanwhile, GDP numbers, the economy grew in the second quarter at 2.1%. Percent, Not bad, quote unquote, President Trump tweeting out. What does it mean in terms of the economic mood of the country? Will it ease recession fears up on the street? Plus, I'm going to bring you two different conversations with two very different people. Tom Perez, the chairman of the Democratic Party was on Bloomberg Television earlier today, and Lara Trump. She, of course, is a senior advisor to President Trump's re-election campaign. She spoke with me earlier today live from Trump Tower. Uh, she's also expecting now her second child with Eric Trump. He, of course, is the son of the president. So a lot to get through. Politics, policy, Larry Kudlow making news earlier today as well with regards to currency, We'll dive into all of it with an all-star panel. John Solomon making his debut on Bloomberg Radio Sound On. He is a journalist as well as executive vice president over at The Hill. And Congressman Jim Banks, a Republican from Indiana, he's going to stop by in the studio coming up later on in the hour to help us navigate all of this as well. What a week. What a week. I mean, Mueller was only two days ago. Didn't get much out of that, but there's so much happening to go through today. You know, you wake up in the morning, you go do your morning workout, and then you check Twitter. And Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is meeting with Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Meanwhile, then, Speaker Pelosi gets behind a podium earlier this afternoon, and she's questioned by members of the media just as they're heading out on recess for August recess about impeachment. And that's where we're going to have to start today because it's all anybody's buzzing buzzing about here inside the Beltway. John Solomon is a journalist and executive vice president over at The Hill. John, uh, put this in context for us as we head into August recess right. about where the Democrats move forward on the issue of impeachment, because I, I still can't really get uh, a, a sense of whether or not they're actually going to go through with this.
2: Yeah, listen, I think today was about Placating the base. I think the, the, the base of the Democratic Party walked away from Wednesday's hearing a little frustrated. And so Jerry Nadler, before they leave town, tried to put things on a positive note, which is we're going to use our impeachment authority at the Judiciary Committee to subpoena the grand jury materials. Of the um, uh, of the Mueller investigation. So,
1: John, I don't want to interrupt yep. you, but I, but this this was the news. This yep. is the. There's so yep. many different details that yep. fly by this week, but yep. that right there was the lead. Yep. And I'm reading from the Bloomberg terminal now. Quote: House Democrats took a significant step toward opening an inquiry into impeaching President Trump as the Judiciary Committee, chaired of course by Chairman right. Nadler, right. asked a federal court to force the release of grand jury information from Bob Mueller's investigation. So why is that a step toward impeachment for folks who are well, in their car driving home from work and, it, and trying to get it?
2: It mirrors very much what happened during Watergate, the beginning investigations of Watergate. Uh, if you want to get the evidence that the prosecution team has, you're going to have to go to court when you're Congress because grand jury information is typically sealed and kept from the public. Even Congress doesn't have a right to it unless they can show that their oversight or impeachment uh proceedings need so. So this begins a long court process. It's not something that's going to end very quickly. I would expect Trump to take this all the way to the uh, Supreme Court at some point.
1: So they're trying to get the goods. That's right. Essentially, Bob Mueller's got this, this these sealed documents. That's he spent right. 22 months, testifies on Capitol Hill. Right. Essentially, in his testimony, he said, read the report. That's right. And now they're trying to get the evidence that compiled the report right. on the issue of obstruction of justice, or could they go in a different route?
2: I don't think they're going to touch uh, Russia collusion or Russia conspiracy. I think uh, Mueller put a fork in that on, on Wednesday. I think they're going to look at this Don McGahn conversation, the Corey Lewandowski uh, conversations, where the president seems to be suggesting he's tampering with evidence or trying to to uh, thwart the investigation. Uh, uh, it'll be very interesting to see what the Justice Department's first response is. And now that the, the suit goes to a judge, the Justice Department will lay out its argument, and that will begin a long uh, legal process. Here we go. Yeah. buckle your seatbelt, but don't expect to be speeding anytime soon.
1: Yeah. So I guess then in terms of for, for where this story heads, it's, it's now a court story, at least for the time yeah. being. It goes to the and courts. Less so about about clogging the halls of Rayburn, as we did earlier yeah. this week. Uh, all right. right. Coming up, we're going to hear from chairman of the Democratic Party, Tom Perez. I asked him a little bit about impeachment. Uh, we can we can hear about that. Um, but we also talked about the economy because there were some eco numbers today, John. Right. Uh, 2.1% GDP growth in the second
2: quarter. Yep, Slow down a little bit.
1: Slow down a little bit. But honestly, I mean, folks were bracing for, <laughs> for yeah. the worst. They're not as optimistic on the street.
2: Yeah, definitely this,
1: not. The chatter on on Wall Street being, all right maybe this recession fears are are maybe a little bit premature
2: yeah i think that's true i think that was even though there was a, a decline in the gdp growth, it was uh, much better than expected. And I think those fears have allayed a little bit. Uh, If you look back a few months ago, uh, President Trump was starting to pick on his Federal Reserve chairman a little bit, suggesting maybe we needed some uh, interest rate cuts or something. Tough times for Jay Powell. Yeah, not a a comfortable job to be (laughs) in right now. But uh, I think these numbers take some of that pressure off and and, uh, the market reacted accordingly.
1: I'm sorry. I, I think we. Uh, I think we're hearing right there from a, a sat that I want to get to, but hold on, <laughs> hold off on that in the control room, uh, because this this was coupled with some comments that Larry Kudlow made earlier today. He, of course, being the chairman of the Council of Economic of Advisors, and he he said this on CNBC, which was they were going to hold off with regards to. Uh, Ruled, or rather ruled out currency intervention right. with regards to some other countries. And this has really driven the conversation and, and sent market jitters. So I'll, let's, let's listen to Larry Kudlow first and then we'll unpack it. Here's Larry Kudlow on CNBC.
3: What the president is concerned about is that foreign countries may be manipulating their own currencies lower to try to gain some short-term temporary trade advantage. That we do not like.
1: So the, so Larry Kudlow saying that the president uh, has essentially ruled out intervening in the currency markets uh, after meeting with cabinet officials and, and economic advisors. Right. Two important things about this. One, China, obviously. You've yeah. got Secretary Mnuchin and Bob Lighthizer, the trade representative, going to Beijing next week. That's right. So this is a huge signal for the Chinese. Clearly. And two, also to the markets, I, I think they were trying to signal this, uh, which would have made the markets a little uneasy yeah. uh, on the GDP day, no?
2: Yep, and I also think that the, the second part of it is that he also said, don't expect a grand deal with China, right? This is going to be an incremental yes. process, and I think that lowers expectations going into those meetings next week in Beijing, that uh, that the Trump folks don't expect to come away with something big, but maybe something incremental. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, uh, the economy is still generally strong, which helps the president as he heads into reelection. But these, these negotiations and the trade fairs and the business communities unease, uh, linger as a cloud not too far off in the distant horizon.
1: So you mentioned this headline, and again, the headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal within the last hour. That President Trump saying that China might wait until after the 2020 presidential election to sign any type of trade agreement because Beijing would prefer to reach a deal with a Democrat. That's according (laughs) to President Trump. He said, quote, I think that China will probably say, let's wait when I win, like almost immediately, they're all going to sign Deals Again, he's saying this just a couple of days before uh, Secretary Mnuchin of Treasury and Bob Lighthizer of the U.S. Trade uh, Agency are set to go over there.
2: This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
1: I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We made it to Friday and it was a. Really long week this week, and Congressman Jim Banks, a Republican in Indiana, has just walked into the studio. He's gonna get into his car. Your what kind of car? It's a uh, Chevy Impala. Driving his Chevy nine hours back to Indiana tonight. I can't wait. Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow I'll morning. Early in the morning. I was like, don't drive in the middle of the night. That's a
3: little like rough. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta pack my bags uh, still tonight. The August recess has begun. The, today is the first day of the August recess, which is a little yep. bit longer than August. We'll come back into session uh, the week after Labor Day. So wow. Congress gets to take a break, and I say it's a good time to take a break.
1: You know, and you're, and you're, what, what will you listen to besides sound on, on Bloomberg
3: Radio? Um, what you, will you listen to you in the I car? and I have talked about this before. I'm a I'm a Counting Crows fan. I'll, yes. I'll probably listen to Counting Crows for half of the trip, maybe a little U2 yes. thrown in there along That's the, the unforgettable way. Unforgettable fire. Um, I've also, only later in my, I just turned 40 last week, Kevin. Oh, and only later in my life <laughs> have I become a fan of, of the boss uh, Bruce Springsteen. So only I'll throw later, a, little, a little love Springsteen in there. John as
1: well. Solomon's here. He's executive vice president. Yeah, he's. I'm getting your title wrong, John. Executive no, vice no. president at the Hill. I got it right. And a, and a senior journalist. Uh, John, you're here. Are you a Bruce fan?
2: You know, in '77, I saw him in Jersey Shore. So yeah, I have to, I have to confess. Yeah, yeah. I was, a, I was an early adopter.
1: <laughs> so I go through like phases with. Bruce. I love Bruce Springsteen, but then I'll go like real deep down the Bruce. And this is the last thing, and I'll get back into politics in a second. I promise, Christine Barada, our EP, who's like grimacing in the control room, probably. Uh, Jungleland is like my go-to song this huh? month. Obsessed with it. I don't know why. The piano. Uh, Congressman <laughs> Banks, debt ceiling, two-year extension.
3: Look. Big, big deal, but you voted against it. Why? Well, it is a big deal, and I mean there there are uh, components of this deal that are good. I mean, the pre- the president um, got this out of the way. That that's the good part for the president. We uh, th- we'll get through the next election. We won't have to worry about debt ceilings or uh, budget deals. All of that is de- all of that is determined. As far as as I'm concerned, though, I could not vote for a deal that that busted the budget caps by. Uh, another uh, four hundred billion dollars that that would grow our national debt by another two trillion dollars over the next um, ten years. I just couldn't go along with it. I've got three daughters, uh, one who who will be ten here in a few weeks, um, eight and six years old, and when I look at this, the national debt picture at twenty two trillion dollars and growing, and also to, also putting into perspective that um, right now in in this calendar year we'll spend. About um, about 400 billion dollars in in interest on the national debt, and and to put that in, in a perspective that, uh, ten years from now we'll spend more in interest on the national debt than we'll spend on our entire military. Um, that that's not a that's not a budget picture or budget deal that I can support it's, or vote for.
2: You know I I remember when uh, Newt Gingrich took over the House and what an important part the deficit and debt management and budget management was to the conservative identity and we've come a long way from that period Well, that's
1: a good you know congressman to john's point right there I mean, what do you say to folks who say where are the who cares about the national debt anymore i mean because i remember even just within the in the last four years when i was a hill rat covering (laughs) all of the different you know running after lawmakers and and tea party members and freedom caucus members who were raising alarm after alarm and, and virtually now it seems like you're kind of on an island to, your, to yourself.
3: Sometimes it feels like it. Um, it, it I, I agree. Republicans have lost the moral high ground when it comes to spending. We, we had the majority Ooh. last Congress. Um, we, we had the Senate. We, we have the White House. Yet um, this, this president um, so far hasn't done any better than Obama or any, any Democrat president controlling spending or the debt. Now, the president told me uh, personally in the White House, in the Oval Office, the last time I visited with him, um, uh, several weeks ago and to talk about this specific issue that we'll, we'll get around to it uh, at the beginning when we get to the second term we'll focus on um, on the debt picture on on controlling spending um, and and I appreciate that and I Kevin I've never been more confident that this president is going to have a second term so really? Why? when we get into that second term I think we'll have an opportunity to address these issues in the meantime we're stuck with the deal we have because of the nature of divided government. Why
1: do you think he's going to, why are you sound, you sound assured that he's going to get a second term? Congressman Jim Banks, Republican from Indiana, why? Yeah,
3: I'm, I'm, I'm generally not, uh, haven't been as, as optimistic about this in the past, but the, watching the way this, this, uh, this hearing with, with Bob Mueller went this week, mm. um, looking at, the, the, the strength of this economy, which isn't slowing down anytime soon, uh, what this president has accomplished in rebuilding the military and, and, uh, uh, focusing on the issues that matter to the American people, I, I, the the record is there. Con- contrast that with what's going on in this uh, crazy circus and the and uh, the Democrat Party on their presidential stage and the debates. Um, wh- where I come from, uh, this is getting pretty wacky on the other side. When when uh, every presidential candidate raises their hand in support of of uh, universal health care for undocumented immigrants, those are issues that, that won't play with the mainstream of, of America and will get Donald Trump reelected in 2020.
0: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City, Qatar, and premier sponsor q Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.
2: This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
1: I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're joined by... Congressman Jim Banks, a Republican from Indiana, he's been gracious enough to stop by with, to hang out with the reporter <laughs> before <laughs> before the August—I guess we're officially in August recess—and before
3: he gets to go on vacation next week with his family. Going to France. Uh, France with my wife and uh, up to Lake Michigan with my kids. And- well,
1: well, listen, not to put a damper on the whole French thing, but President Trump actually threatened to tariff France
3: just— earlier. He was also dogging on French wine. French wine. That was it. (laughs) I I plan to drink a little French wine while I'm on the game. We'll do it it before.
2: You shouldn't let that stop you. (laughs)
3: Do it before the
1: tariffs, uh, before President Trump does tariffs on that. That, of course, because French President Emmanuel Macron. How's this for a pivot? This was such a nerdy pivot. French (laughs) President Emmanuel Macron (laughs) signed into law a 3% tax on the revenue of technology giants Facebook and Amazon. John Solomon's here. He's a journalist and executive vice president at The Hill. Congressman, you introduced a piece of legislation that uh, is really important. It's something that we talk about, the topic that we talk about frequently on this program with regards to Huawei and ZTE, the Chinese, uh, uh, Chinese telecommunications and technology giants. I was struck by this, Bill. Uh, You say that this this will restrict the ability of national security professionals to work for certain foreign government-backed organizations for five years. So in layman's terms, if you had a security clearance at the White House, you're not going to be able to cash in on that security clearance and go lobby for Huawei.
3: No? That's exactly right. Every five years, a security clearance has to be renewed. So presumably, if you came out of a presidential administration or out of an official um, government uh, uh, position with a security clearance um, at some point within five years, you would have to renew it. And uh, what what I find offensive um, after working on a number of issues, I serve on the Armed Services Committee, learning more about the threat of Huawei, other other Chinese uh, government-controlled companies like ZTE, are the number of lobbyists here in this town who registered a lobby on behalf of these companies who are, which are adversarial to the interest, the security, national security related interest of the United States of America. So that, that's what led to my legislation. There was a senior director of cybersecurity yeah. in the Obama administration. The Journal recently... had this.
1: I want to give them credit. The Wall Street Journal broke that Samir Jain, the Obama administration senior director for cybersecurity, uh,
3: registered as a lobbyist for Huawei. Yeah, the, over the last six weeks, after the, after the the Wall Street Journal story, I dug into this with um, a number of officials on Capitol Hill to look for uh, the right way that I could restrict um, uh, government officials like um, like him from uh, from capitalizing on their security clearance and registering to to lobby on behalf of of companies like. Huawei. So,
1: is this an area where you I don't want to say disagree? I mean, where where you had take issue with President Trump in the sense that, especially as he's been negotiating with China, for example, and and lift, and so he's allowed now for some U.S. businesses to, to continue to do business with Huawei, from the administration's perspective, they would argue, well, look, I mean, they're in a tough spot because the Europeans aren't necessarily following the U.S. lead and not doing business with Huawei. So what do you make of
3: that? Yeah, s- sadly, the, the administration has um, been inconsistent um, at best in their position toward Huawei. So it, Huawei continues to be a bargaining shit uh, on the table between the administration uh, and China yeah, and the right. and the negotiations uh, it shouldn't be. We, if if we determine as we have that Huawei is a national security threat, it should never be negotiable whether or not we should uh, allow um, uh, Huawei to do business in the United States.
2: I remember going back about two decades ago, China wanted to gain access to the, the Long Beach port in California, strategic asset, former Navy base area. And uh, where did they turn to? Former Congressman right away to get their, their uh, starting uh, leg in the door. And so this is a real issue. Uh, I think uh, a few months ago you saw uh, CFIUS. Uh, actually, try to block a, a new container uh, uh, port in Long Beach at China. Costco, the Chinese owned company, wanted to buy. So you see the Chinese moving in many different ways to find strategic assets beyond what Huawei is doing. And the administration has been on both sides of this issue, depending where the negotiations are. I
1: love it. I'm I'm with two all stars who can go into the weeds. CFIUS, the Committee on (laughs) Foreign Investment in the United States, one of the tools that the administration can use in order to make it more difficult for foreign foreign countries like China to do business in the US or to accomplish their bottom line uh, goals. All right, I want to, you know, we're talking about China, but even to go more broadly on the issue. Of trade in particular, it's not just the U.S. and China where we've got this major trade negotiations going on. Bob Lightheiser, the U.S. Trade Representative, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, they're headed to Beijing, but Bob Lightheiser started the day today on Capitol Hill, and he was meeting <coughs> with uh, a bipartisan group, the bipartisan working group of members in the House of Representatives. About getting USMCA passed, and this is the third time I've said this uh, this anecdote on this program. But I, I really, I, I really think it illustrates the chances of potentially getting USMCA passed in the month of September or October with Speaker Pelosi, especially now, Congressman, since the debt ceiling two-year extension, um, yeah, two-year extension on that getting getting passed despite you voting against it, um, uh, which was Congressman Jimmy Gomez, ultra ultra liberal. Democrat from California, member of the USMCA working group, calling for impeachment of the president, and literally in the next breath, outside of the Rayburn-Muller hearing room, he goes, yeah, no, I think USMCA might get passed in September. I want to play for everybody what Larry Kudlow said on our competitor CNBC, it was a good interview, uh, about what he said, Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, said about the potential for a USMCA vote in September. Take a listen.
3: Our hope is in September. Uh, she will give us a green light, and we will submit legislation for a vote.
1: She being not AOC, but House Speaker Nancy <laughs> Pelosi. Um, yes. They met today, by the way. We'll get it. Maybe we'll get into that, uh, Congressman. You said in the break that this would be a game changer for President Trump if USMCA gets passed.
3: Why? Uh, I I think it seals the deal for his reelection. And that's why Pelosi has done everything that she can this year to prevent a vote on USMCA. But she's getting pressure from rank and file members in her own conference to put it on the floor, allow for a vote, because their districts, just like in my district, have interests that um, want this to pass, that will benefit, whether it's agriculture, agriculture. Whether it's uh, manufacturing-based businesses, um, it, it this is a popular um, a, a deal that that the administration has uh, negotiated with Canada, and Mexico. When it passes, I mean, here's the deal, Kevin. I come from, I come from a, a working-class family. My dad was a union man, uh, made axles um, in, in a in a factory all of his life in Fort Wayne. When I was a kid, my dad was a Ross Perot supporter, and NAFTA was a four-letter word. Ooh. And uh, when Donald Trump gets up at his stage and and proclaims victory on USMCA and says he eliminated, he he repealed NAFTA and replaced it with UMC, MCA. he's going to walk on water in places like where I come
1: from. Is the math there, John Solomon, Executive Vice President of the Hill, for these centrist Democrats? And they they bristle at the word centrist, but yeah. for, I guess suburban Democrats who flipped red districts in 2018. Because those are really the Democrats that, that want... NAFTA. Repealed. yeah, they're also the most vulnerable.
2: Yeah. Um, listen, I think this issue cuts for President Trump either way. If the Democrats blo- block a vote, he's going to say, listen, I did what no Democratic president wanted to do. And the Democrats are again sticking you with NAFTA. And if he gets the win, he gets to take it there. He wins either way. And I think that's the hard position that Pelosi's in. I think I think they get a vote and I think it passes.
3: Could, I couldn't agree more. And, and that that will be maybe the biggest achievement of a of this yeah. presidential administration, that's had a number of a number of other achievements. Too. It
1: uh, reminds me of that Billy Joel song, Allentown. <laughs> Gosh, I'm like giving I'm giving the congressman my oh, place Right in my wheelhouse his, today, on this know, music I, list. I, yeah. but this is me. This is how I was raised. You know, Allentown, uh, and and. Uh, My Hometown by Bruce, right? Another good one. All right, what's on your radar, John Solomon? we got like 60 seconds left for next week. I think
2: next week, three things to watch for. There could be a a change atop the intelligence community. You might see Dan Coates move on. You might see a member of the Congress move in. I think, two, I'd keep an eye on uh, the first declassification documents. Now that the Mueller testimony is over, it gives Bill Barr the opportunity to go on offense. I'd watch for that next week. And three, watch for some of the key figures in the Russian investigation to start lining up defense lawyers. I think you may see the first grand jury activity in the in the John Durham review of the Russia investigation. I think all three of those things could play out next week. John
1: Solomon, wow. I mean, that's just, I'm watching Congressman Jim Banks be like, and I'm he probably already going all knows to Indiana. All this, yeah. like, <laughs> smooth sailing. I want to thank uh, John Solomon for coming in. First time on the show where you come thank back. You.
2: Absolutely. It was great, a ton great. of fun.
1: I want to thank Lara Trump, as well as Tom Perez, chairman of the Democratic Party. Uh, Lara Trump, of course, senior advisor to the Trump reelect. And of course, Congressman Jim Banks, Republican from Indiana, getting wonky on Huawei on Friday in recess. <laughs> Appreciate your time. Have a good time in France. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes, Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Full Lara Trump interview online. You're listening to Bloomberg 99 1.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state